What's going on, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Pure Sports Pod. This is Matt Wyrick, along with Kevin Haswell on the phone. Coming off of a little bit of a break, we had one episode last week, um, but are coming back strong with our full Monday-Thursday shows this week, and boy, do we have a lot to talk about. Kevin, how's it going? Going pretty well, you know. I missed the pod over the last week. Uh, did some volunteer work out at uh, Arches National Park in southern Utah. Uh, lots of fun, but I'm excited to get back on the pod. A uh, big day for me as a Phillies fan. Uh, Phillies went out and signed Jake Arietta. We'll talk about that later, but, you know, really... Really exciting to see this Phillies team, you know, uh, looking up instead of looking down for once. Yeah, you know, I feel like we're always, whenever we're talking baseball, we're talking about the Nats, and we don't really get to go into the Phillies, which Kevin has a plethora of knowledge uh, about, but, you know, we'll be able to dive into uh, some, you know, where they stand in the National League East. But before that, of course, we have to talk about Selection Sunday uh, with the brackets having been announced. We're recording the uh, podcast on Sunday night, so today, um, for all you listeners tomorrow or yesterday, um, with the number one seeds being UVA, Villanova, Kansas, and Xavier. Kevin, do any of those four, no, four number one seeds surprise you in any way? No, I think the committee got it right. Uh, you know, I really like Kansas. I mean, they won the regular season uh, title and, and the tournament title for the Big 12. Um, I think they deserved it. UVA showed the ACC tournament that they're the best team in the country. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Villanova, you know, the player their guard plays or the play of their guards, um, especially Galen Brunson, has really gotten them um, to where they are at right now. And, you know, Xavier's a surprise team as a number one seed. Um, you know, they over the last couple of weeks, they really squeaked their way in there. Uh, they benefited a little off of, you know, some of these two seats um, that didn't win their conference tournament. But, you know, hats off to Xavier and uh, head coach Mack. I, I, I think they deserved, um, you know, I think they deserved a one seed. But the interesting thing about the one seeds, um, one seed in this, you know, NCAA tournament bracket that we're looking at is, you know, UVA kind of got screwed at the top of the bracket. I mean, their four-five matchup uh, potentially in the Sweet 16 could be between Kentucky and Arizona. Both of those teams won their conference tournament. Uh, Kentucky winning the SEC and Arizona, uh, you know, winning the Pac-12 uh, and also having, you know, one of the best players in the country with DeAndre Hayden. So. Uh, I'm really concerned for this UVA team. I think they got screwed at the top of that uh, South uh, region. Yeah, I mean, they did luck out not having to play UNC or Duke. Um, I thought, you know, putting either of those number two seeds, I felt like those are the two clear-cut number twos. I mean, yeah, you can put Cincinnati and Purdue in that conversation, certainly, but with the way they've kind of played down the stretch, um, it's certainly been more of, of Duke and UNC showing off. So the fact that UVA is at least... You know, able to get away with that was nice, but you're right. I mean, even even their 12 seed Davidson. I mean, they're playing you know as, as well as anybody right now, and I think they're going to give Kentucky a great game. Um, they're they're going to have you know a tough stretch to get um, you know what is it to the Sweet 16 for sure, and then from there, you know, they might have to play um, you know Miami, Tennessee, Texas is playing well, and of course Cincinnati. So uh, yeah, this is this is definitely a tough road for UVA. I mean, they've got to be the favorites going into this tournament with, you know, how well they've been playing. And they're clearly the number one team in the country right now. But um, I, I'm looking, you know, if we're talking about the number one seed with the easiest walk, it's probably Xavier, um, who, you know, they're, you know, mentioned five and four seeds. Their four seeds are Gonzaga and OSU, with Gonzaga being like the only, uh, you know, smaller conference school that really stands out among any, uh, you know, teams in the country. Certainly they're the highest ranked um, school. Uh, but, of course, Ohio State, you, 
up and down season, not really, you know, what we're used to seeing out of them. They play more like a number one, two, or three seed, but this year they've fallen down to five. Um, of course, they do, though, have to play Mizzou um, in the second round, which could be a lot of trouble considering Michael Porter Jr., uh, who, you know, could be a top five pick in the draft, is going to be returning to the team. Um, if they beat Florida State, that's going to be a great game uh, between Xavier and Missouri. So I'm definitely looking out for that one. Um, but a, a t one seed that I was really concerned about going into the, you know, into March Madness was Kansas. Uh, but I don't really think that, you know, they're going to have as much trouble. I mean, obviously having Auburn is going to be tough, but I, I don't believe in Clemson. I, I've been down on them all year. Yes, they got a good offense, but, you know, they're so shaky um, you know, shooting. I really don't believe that they're going to be, um, you know, a tough team to, you know, out in the, the tournament. I don't even know if they'll make it. I'm going to get past Auburn. Um, Michigan State is in that um, bracket, which of course might pose a problem down the line, but either Michigan State or Duke is going to have to take each other out. Um, Oklahoma's there, but I don't really believe they're going to be able to make much of a run, um, you know, with how poorly they've been playing. So while I was worried about Kansas going into the actual tournament, looking at the field right now, it seems like they have a date with Michigan State to me, um, you know, down in the uh what is it sweet 16 or elite eight yeah i mean uh if you, if you want to really look at these one seed one last thing about the one seeds uh if you look at villanova's matchup it's actually pretty tough uh playing their eight nine they probably got the two two best eight the, the, they got the best eight nine matchup um in all the tournament i mean virginia tech has you know proven all year that they can take down uh some of the top dogs in the acc so you know they can they can bring it up and then, you know, Alabama, I mean, Colin Sexton, the way they played in the SEC tournament, they definitely have to be a team to worry about. And, you know, I, I still like Villanova over both of those teams, but, you know, it's a little bit concerning uh, that they would have to play, you know, probably the best eight, the best nine uh, in this, you know, tournament bracket. Now, they did announce the first four out um, with them being USC, Notre Dame, Baylor, um, and St. Mary's. Now, where do you stand in terms of the biggest snub? Is it one of those four teams, or do you think somebody else, you know, was more deserving? Maybe Louisville. I think it's uh, honestly my one opinion on the, the last four and last four out. I think Oklahoma should not have made the tournament the way they played down the stretch. I mean, they weren't even in the last four in. Um, they somehow were an automatic. They were all. They were counted already in as a at-large bid. Um, you know, the way they played down the stretch was pitiful. I mean, sure, at one point they were a top-five team, and Trey Young was playing amazing. But, you know, down the stretch of the season, I mean, they showed that they couldn't win, you know, against some of the mediocre teams in the Big 12. I really don't think Oklahoma should have gotten in. I think the committee, you know, missed on that one. Yeah, I mean, I, I liked – I mean, Oklahoma had the star power. They had some quality wins early on in the year. Um, but it, it seemed like Syracuse, honestly, was the biggest surprise for me. Um, you know, they, they lost to Wake Forest, Georgia Tech, Boston College. They just really weren't, you know, that typical ACC powerhouse we're used to seeing. Um, so I, for me, I, I felt like they really didn't deserve it. Um, but I, I just couldn't understand Notre Dame. Now, understand they're 1-7 against ranked teams this season, okay, which on paper, you know, you, you look at that and you're like, all right, clearly they don't deserve to be in the tournament here. But that was all because... They were missing Bonzi Colson, their star forward, averaging over 20 points a game, 10 rebounds. He missed 15 games with a broken foot, uh, and that really kind of set the balance for them. Um, they were 6-9 and nine without him, 14-5 and five with him. They had wins against quality teams like Wichita State, NC State, Florida State, Syracuse, and then Virginia Tech in the ACC tournament. 
Um, you know, all of all five of those teams I just mentioned made the tournament. Um, and, and the big thing here was just because of the there were a lot of upsets um, in some of the lower conferences. Even the NCAA selection committee chair Bruce Rasmussen actually came out and said that Davidson upsetting Rich uh, Rhode Island in the A10 tournament cost Notre Dame their spot. So the fact that you know um, they had to give a spot to a team like Davidson, you know, made had to you know they still wanted to put in Rhode Island, so they took out Notre Dame. Uh, and, and that really cost them there. So I think, you know, yes, maybe their numbers weren't great on paper, but you got to look at the way the team's playing right now um, and the fact that they have Colson back, and I think that would have been huge. Um, and, and Coach K, even after Duke beat them uh, in the ACC tournament, came out and said, you know, they can beat anybody in the country. They, they deserve to be in the tournament. But we're looking at them as one of the first four out, and I don't know. I feel like they missed on that one. Yeah, so – Team, the other team I want to talk about that didn't make the tournament um, that you know some people probably can consider a snub was you know St. Mary's. I mean, AP AP rank of twenty, uh, RPI of forty two. Um, you know they were uh, one and one against the top twenty five, but they didn't, you know they only played two top twenty five teams all year, three top fifty teams. I mean, uh, this St. Mary's team, it's it's hard to believe that a team was ranked in the top twenty five and didn't make the tournament at the season's end. Um, but, you know, I think the committee got that right. I don't think St. Mary should have been in the tournament. Uh, and, you know, it, it comes down to scheduling. I mean, they, I know they play Gonzaga twice a year. Um, but outside of that, I mean, they're not really playing anyone tough. Um, so they, you know, really don't deserve to get in. And I think they, you know, I, I'm going to say it again. And, you know, I think the tournament, or the tournament committee got it right. My other one, you know, big question mark here was USC. Um, they are the team with the biggest, uh, the highest, I guess would you know lowest highest RPI of 34 um, biggest the best RPI of any power conference team left out of the tournament um, you know it, it, they did seem kind of like a lock almost coming into last week um, you didn't have a tournament like they wanted uh, and, and that certainly hurt them but I guess you know down the stretch it just wasn't enough uh, for the selection committee to pick them yeah definitely I mean you know I, I mean if you had to put on a scale of one to ten what, what do you think? How well did the committee do uh, picking these you know teams? Um, I'd have to say probably you know an eight. I think I think I have a bigger problem with some of the seeding more so than you know where which teams made it, which teams don't. Like you know I, I'm picking here. I like Notre Dame a lot, and I thought they deserved it. Um, and certainly USC probably was in that conversation. Um, but with you know the shift of balance toward the end of the year, the Power Five conferences just got better and better, and the the Group of Five and the rest of the conferences really kind of took a step back. I mean, um, you know, outside the ACC, Big Ten, uh, Big 12, and Big East, there weren't, you know, a lot of teams that kind of stood out to me. And so it made it kind of easier to pick, you know, all right, we're just going to go to the ACC. I mean, nine teams in the ACC made the tournament, which is pretty ridiculous. Uh, and I think that, you know, I think they made the picks right. I think it's the seeding necessarily where I'm not so sure about. I mean, you know, like you said, with Oklahoma, they probably shouldn't have been a 10 seed, uh, maybe bumped down. A little bit more. I mean, I, cert I certainly think they deserve to be in the tournament, um, but maybe not as high up. Um, you know, Duke being a number two and UNC. I mean, they had some ugly losses this year. I, I don't know. I don't know if they were deserving of necessarily number twos. I certainly thought Michigan State deserved it. Uh, you know, obviously losing in the, uh, in the conference tournament hurt them, and I certainly thought they would go on to win it. But uh, I think they they were still deserving of a number two seed. 
Um, and, and that's just, you know, Florida State, Florida, neither of those teams impressed me. Texas Tech struggled down the stretch and still came out of three seed. So I, I think that, you know, maybe they, maybe they could have shuffled things around a little bit. But overall, I think they picked the right teams. Yeah, I'd probably have to go with an eight as well. I think, you know, at the end of, you know, some of the first four in, first four out or whatever, you know, I probably don't agree with. Um, but there's reasons behind them. Uh, I think that, you know, they got a lot of the seedings correct. Um, I like the regions as well. Uh, you know, uh, uh, the other question I wanted to pose to you was if you had to pick one team that was a five seed or lower to make the Final Four, who would it be? Ooh, five seed or lower. I mean, I got I like Kentucky a lot. Um, I think of the five seeds, they're trending in the best direction. I think they were kind of seated a little lower, maybe than they deserve to be seated. Um, you know, obviously, they this hasn't been you know a year that we've come to expect from Kentucky. They've been you know had a rough middle stretch. Calipari kind of had to right the ship, um, but they're playing as well as anybody right now. And uh, you know, with the experience that they have, you know, especially from the coaching staff, and they have a few players who, you know, have, have been around the program more than the one and dones, obviously. Um, I think Kentucky could definitely, you know, make a run. I mean, beyond the number five seed, though, uh, I don't know. I like Marshall. I mean, obviously, they're a 13, so, you know, saying they're going to win it is a long stretch. Um, but they, you know, have just gone on to make their first ever tournament um, and are, you know, like I said, playing like some of the best teams in the country. So if I had to go with, you know, a sexy lower pick, I think I'd pick Marshall over uh, Wichita State in the first round. Yeah, you know, it's really tough. I mean, the, the hot pick is definitely going to be Kentucky. I mean, we talked about it last week on the uh, on the show. I was picking them to win the SEC tournament as a dark horse. You know, I, I always, I've watched John Calipari as a coach um, for years and years, and his teams always play well this time of year. And so, yeah, they're going to be a hot pick. I, I like their chances i mean they're, they're gonna have to get by uva who's you know the best team in the country right now um but you know that's the hot pick i would also look at west virginia um you know i really like their matchups um and their you know region to get to the final four i mean they'll have to they'll have to beat wichita state but i you know i think they're a better team than wichita state um and then you know they'll take on villanova and then they'll have to beat uh purdue or um you know texas tech so no it, it's a tough ride for them but i think you you go into these tournaments, uh, you know, the teams with the best guards usually end up winning a bunch of rounds. So, you know, West Virginia with, you know, the press, press Virginia, the press defense, um, along with their, you know, talented veteran guards, I think they have a shot to make a long run. Now, after that, I mean, after the five seed, um, you know, I don't really see a lot of teams um, that I'm confident can make a deep run. Uh, I, I would watch out for Rhode Island. I think Rhode Island's a really good team, uh, you know, they, at one point this year, they won double-digit games in a row, uh, playing a really competitive Atlantic 10. Uh, I have a feeling they can make a deep run, but Final Four, probably not. So, you know, my team's got to be West Virginia um, or Kentucky. I mean, both of those teams are playing really well right now. Um, and, you know, I don't know if you can go beyond that confidently to say a team will go to the Final Four. Yeah, I mean, Final Four, you, you're usually getting at least two one-seeds in there, so... It's kind of a, a toss-up at that point as to who will get those other two spots. And with the way these one seeds have been playing this year, I mean, especially UVA um, and Villanova, uh, it just doesn't seem like any other team is really going to come out of there. All right, so you know, now that we have the full bracket, Kevin, who's your pick uh, to go all the way? Honestly, I'm gonna do. I'm gonna say UVA. I mean, their pace of play. I've been watching them all season. I wasn't confident in them, you know, before 
the ACC tournament, but they proved me wrong. I really like the way Devin Hall is playing, Kyle Guy, Ty Jerome. I mean, all those guys are playing very efficiently. I mean, in the past, this UVA team, uh, you know, has had the great defense. I mean, Tony Bennett preaches that, you know, pack line defense, but they've never really had a go-to scorer um, or multiple go-to scorers like they have this year. I think this UVA team is built to make a run. I think they're going to, you know, prove a lot of people wrong. And, I, you know, at this point, uh, you know, it's really early on. I mean, we got to see how they play in the first and second round. But I like the Cavaliers to go all the way to the national championship. For me, I've got to go with the Spartans of Michigan State. They only had four losses all season, and they came to Duke, Ohio State, and twice to Michigan, who eventually won the Big Ten tournament. Um, and, and, you know, they're elite three-point shooters, um, great offensive and defensive team, and, and Miles Bridges is among the best players in the country right now. And you can't count out Jaron Jackson Jr. either, scoring over 11 points per game and three blocks per game too. Um, you know, there there is, you know, the layoff following the Big Ten tournament, which was earlier this week, uh, you know, might come into play a little bit. But I think, you know, this is a team very well coached. Tom Izzo, uh, one of the best coaches in the country. And I, I like Michigan State's chances to redeem themselves against Duke. Um, and then from there, you know, they've got Kansas. But like I said, I think they're maybe the weakest one seed um, in the in the tournament right now. So I could easily see them making it to the Final Four. And at that point, it's anybody's guess who they're going to be playing. So uh, if I'm going to bet on anybody, I think it'd be Michigan State going all the way. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting pick. Um, you know, you got NC, or Michigan State's going to have to beat Duke uh, and Kansas. I mean, potentially Duke and Kansas. I mean, we'll see what those two teams do. But, you know, I, I understand your pick. I just, you know, with that tough of a region, I mean, I, I really see it hard Tom is it on this Michigan State team to get out of that. I mean, Duke at one point in this season was considered the best team in the country. Um, and then, you know, Kansas proved down the stretch that they, you know, are uh, among the best in the country. So, you know, having to get by both of those teams, um, you know, I, I think it's going to be a really tough challenge. But uh, I also, you know, wouldn't play past Tom as uh, his experience in these tournaments has, has been terrific. Um, you know, he's taken this team to Final Fours multiple times. Uh, but, you know, uh, the last question I wanted to ask uh, had to do with, you know, double-digit seeds. Uh, if you had to pick one double-digit seed uh, to go to the Elite Eight or further, who would it be? Elite eight, a double-digit seed, man. Um, I don't know. I really liked how Providence was playing. Uh, losing, obviously, to Villanova um, in the conference championship was a uh, real, you know, killer for them. But uh, you know, they were three and five against uh, top twenty-five seed uh, seeds this year. Their BPI uh, sixty-six. I think that you know they're a very prolific offensive team. Um, their RPI puts them in the top 32, which, you know, for a team like Providence um, coming out of their conference is definitely, you know, surprising. So it, they're trending in the right direction right now. And while they have, were dealt like a very, you know, devastating loss to Villanova uh, in overtime, I think the fact that they were able to hang around with them shows that they're among the better teams in the country. Um, and I can easily see them, you know, beating Houston or Michigan uh, to move on to the Sweet 16 and, uh, you know, probably... You know, they're in Xavier's bracket, but, you know, playing Michael Porter Jr. in Mizzou, you don't even know if they're going to get past the second round. So I, I got to like uh, Providence's chances. Yeah, I'm going to go with a dark horse here. Loyola, Chicago is 11 seed playing Miami uh, in the first round. And, you know, I, I really like what I've seen on this team. Their RPI is 28th this year as an 11 seed. Uh, they're 11-1 in the last 12 games. 
Uh, they went one and one against top fifty teams this year. Seven and one against top one hundred teams. I really like this Loyola Chicago team. The Ramblers, you know, I, I think they got shot. I mean, you look at the matchups. They get by number six Miami. Uh, you know, they get to play Tennessee. I do like Tennessee, but you know, in March Madness, you you never know what's going to happen. Uh, and and you know, after that, they would just have to win one more game, and it'd be you know the winner of uh, Cincinnati and Nevada. And while I like the Bearcats. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of uh, teams that are prone to upsets in, in that part of the South region. And so I, I got to go with Loyal Chicago. That's definitely a, a sexy pick right there. All right, we're going to go ahead and move on. I know you're itching to talk Phillies, so we'll jump into the Jake Arietta deal. Uh, Phillies and, and Arietta agreed to a three-year, $75 million contract, according to multiple reports. Arietta could opt out of the deal after two years, but Philadelphia could void that opt-out clause if it triggers a two-year extension um, that would make it a five-year deal. Now, there's certainly a bunch of um, incentives. Um, it's $20 million per season to start on those first two years, but it could jump up to $30, um, depending on you know the number of starts Arietta makes, if he finishes Cy Young. Uh, votes, all that kind of stuff. So this move kind of shows that the Phillies are like, all right, we're on the tail end of our rebuild here. This might be like a year before they're trying to contend, but that might be the point. You know, they're getting a starter of Arietta's caliber at a much lower price, and a lot of pitchers are probably going to go next offseason um, when there's a plethora of free agents available. Kevin, as a Phillies fan, what do you think this means for the for Philadelphia, and, and what do you like about Jake Arietta coming into the you know Citizens Bank? You know, I, I really like this signing. I, at first, you know, I'm a little skeptical. You know, 32 years old. Um, but the three-year deal is perfect. I mean, right now they have no, basically nothing on the books uh, contract-wise except Carlos Santana. So, you know, bringing Jake Arrieta on, uh, taking on that contract, not a lot of risk there. So I really like that deal. They needed a veteran pitcher, uh, you know, to help, you know, this rotation thrive this year. And they went out and got the best free agent pitcher on the market. You, you gotta love it. I mean, you go. I'm looking at the projected uh, the Phillies. You know, predicting the Phillies 2018 opening day roster lineup. So we'll flip gears from rotation to lineup. You know, you got four guys. Their first five hitters all had an OPS plus over 100 last year, including Reese Hoskins uh, at 165 OPS plus, and you know Carlos Santana with a 112. OPS plus and a four, uh, 363 on base percentage. So I really like you know those two guys uh, anchoring the top of the lineup. And then you, know, you have some dark horses at the bottom. You got Michael Franco, who you know coming out as a rookie, uh, you know bashed the ball, uh, struggled a little bit last year, hitting 230 uh, with a 281 on base. But you know I look at him as one of the biggest bounce back candidates this year. And then you know they're they're going new at shortstop and catcher. I mean Jorge Alfaro. Um, had a 129 OPS plus last year at catcher. He has some raw power, a 514 slugging. Uh, and then you look at shortstop with J.P. Crawford. I mean, he struggled a little bit last year, hitting 214 uh, with only a 300 slugging. But, you know, his defensive capabilities um, and where he can, you know, maybe bring his power and his average too. I, I really like the potential in this Phillies team. Um, and, you know, I, I wanted, I'm really interested to hear your take because I think things are coming – into form for not only a twenty a dark horse twenty eighteen you know wild card push but a twenty nineteen run. 
Yeah, I, I definitely have been watching the Phillies. I mean, obviously, being a fan of a team in the same division, you always want to be aware of, you know, how long is your window of contention going to be open? And as far as, we'll pivot back, I'll, I'll go back to the lineup in a second. But as far as the rotation goes, I mean, obviously, Arietta is the number one. You know, he's the guy um, who they're paying all the money for, and he's going to be, you know, the opening day starter. But Aaron Nola definitely took a big step forward last year. He tossed 168 innings at a 3.54 ERA, a whip of 1.2, which is pretty good, not great, but um, still, you know, going the right direction. His K per nine was a little under 10. Uh, so while, you know, the ERA might not have been sparkling, he was showing signs of being able to take major steps forward. Um, and, and Nick Paveda is another guy who actually had a six ERA, um, but his peripherals were much better. Um, you know, a FIP of, of 487. Uh, he's only 24 years old. I, I think, you know, he was a former Nats prospect who uh, was acquired by Philadelphia in the Jonathan Papelbon deal. Um, I, I think that he definitely has a future in this rotation. Um, so with them three at the top, uh, you got to like what you're seeing. You know, they're, they're going forward with Jared Ickoff, who I'm not sure about uh, having watched, but again, he's only 26. Um, but his his he hasn't really stood out to me as a guy who's going to be able to uh, maybe develop as well as some of these other guys uh, might need a little more time, but you know uh, they can certainly move forward with you know th that top three is very solid. Um, the bullpen is definitely going to need some work. Uh, you know, having lost uh, Benoit, who was already really not that great anyway. Um, there's a lot of question marks at closer. Um, are they still going with Hector Neris uh, for next year? I'm sure they'll give him a try. I mean, his uh, you know strikeout per nine was over ten, so. You know, he was pretty good last year. He was very consistent for about half the season, and then, you know, after that, he fell off a little bit. But, you know, I don't really – I think you're forgetting two things. Um, you know, their starting rotation, I don't think Jared Eikhoff will be the third starter. I think it's going to be – or their fourth starter – sorry. Third starter is going to be Vince Velasquez. I think uh, he'll bounce back a little bit this year. You know, what we saw out of him his first season in the majors was, uh, you know, dominant. So I think he'll be able to bounce back. Uh, and be their number three starter. And then, like you said, Eikhoff and Pavetta rounding out the five. Um, it'll be interesting to see what they do opening day because they've already named Aaron Nola as the starter uh, for opening day. But, you know, after this Arietta signing, uh, we'll see if they shift towards him for opening day. But then, yeah, you got to look at the bullpen. I mean, they brought back Pat Neshek, who was really good last year. Uh, really big fan of him. I mean, he's one of those, you know, sidearm guys that throws really slow, gets guys off balance. Um, can come in in big situations, get a uh, double play. Really liked him. I also like Tommy Hunter. Uh, you know, they brought him in. I know you questioned that signing earlier this year, but you know, as they make these other moves, I think uh, it's making the Tommy Hunter signing look a little better, especially you know in a bullpen that needs the help. But you know, I, I like you know some of this bullpen. I think they need to round out some. They need to find some guys uh, to round out this bullpen because you know Nishak and Tommy Hunter and Hector Nares can't do all the work. Um, but there are definitely the pieces there to have a good, you know, pitching, a solid uh, pitching from, you know, the starters to the relievers. Yeah, I mean, I think that this is definitely a team that's trending upward, um, you know, more so than the, you know, the Mets, Marlins, and Braves are in the NL East. Uh, Mets just floundered last year, were expecting to contend, and just were hit so hard with injuries. Um, Braves are in the middle of a rebuild, but it's taking a lot longer than they expected, and, and probably are at least two years away um, from really contending. Maybe, you know, if, if they can have Dansby, excuse me, Dansby Swanson uh, have a bounce-back season because um, that's really concerning for them um, if he can't turn things around. But as far as the Phillies go, 
I think I think they're going to finish second in the NL East, and I think they're certainly in that third tier of teams in the National League. I mean, you've got obviously the Nats, Cubs, and Dodgers at the top, um, and then that next tier down has kind of got the Rockies, D-backs, Brewers, and Cardinals. But then right there is the Phillies, I think, hanging around in no man's land, trying to get in that wild card conversation a little bit earlier than expected. Um, and, and this is a team that's managed by a lot of outside-the-box thinkers. Um, you know, and as far as the front office goes, they did a real upheaval of, of front office people and are, are bringing in much more analytical minds uh, to, to compared to how they used to, to run things. So I, I certainly like where they're going. I'm, I'm afraid as a Nats fan for the future of the Phillies because they look like they're, you know, turning into a pretty good team. And certainly when next offseason hits and they have so much money to spend, um, they're going to be reeling in some big ticket free agents. And um, I think, you know, if they're not good this year, they're certainly going to be good next year. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, a prospect to watch is Scott Kingery. Uh, you know, he's been great in spring training this year, uh, had a great year in AAA last year. Uh, the question is, you know, it's, it goes back to the whole Chris Bryant thing with the service time. Um, if they make him sit out the first couple, if they make him stay in AAA for the first couple weeks of the season, uh, then they get another year of control. So we'll see what they do in that situation. I wouldn't, I would be a fan of you know, keeping him down there and getting that extra year of control. Uh, but, you know, he's, he's showing that. Uh, he could be a, a great uh, great player for this Phillies team moving forward. And, you know, if Cesar Hernandez doesn't start off the year hot, then you know, watch out for Scott, Scott Kingery uh, to come into that Phillies lineup and give them the, you know, the bolt they need at second base. Yeah, and, and you, they also have four very quality young outfielders um, that they can go with in Altair, Odubel Herrera, Nick Williams, um, and uh, – obviously Hoskins. Um, so I, I think that, you know, if they decide, if they are like, you know, in contention this year, we could see a guy like Altair getting traded to somewhere that he could get more playing time, maybe for another top shelf reliever, maybe for a number three starter, uh, something like that. So I think certainly something you want to watch is, is, is this rotation of outfielders that the Phillies are going to employ because, you know, they just have so much talent out there that you got to think they're going to give playing time to more than just Herrera, Hoskins, um, and Williams, I mean, I think Altair's got to be, you know, at least in that conversation to play two to three, maybe even four times a week. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, you know, this year they have, you know, the players to be a big contender. They got the players they need in this free agency to be contenders in 2019. Uh, I think it's very premature to say that they'll make the playoffs this year, but I really like what they've done with you know, getting Arietta, getting Carlos Santana, you know, uh, shoring up the bullpen a little bit. But the pieces are there. They're just going to see if these young players come around, those veterans, uh, and, you know, that's going to be the difference. Who do you think is going to be the MVP of the Phillies this season? I mean, we haven't even talked about Carlos Santana, who's the other big free agent signing uh, of the offseason, got $60 million from him, going to be playing first base. He's going to be really that big bat in the center of the lineup. I mean, obviously Hoskins um, probably will be the cleanup guy, but you think Santana will be number three? Yeah, uh, you know, I, I think, actually, I think, where are you saying number three in the lineup? Yeah. No, you know, I think they put Carlos Santana at two. I think the on-base percentage, uh, it, it fits him better at number two in the lineup. I think they'll put Odubel Herrera at number three and Cesar at number one. I think hitting him lead off with the speed, ability to steal bases. And then Odubel, you know, he's got the power, the speed, and everything at three. And then, of course, you got to put the big bat, Reese Hoskins, at number four, um, clean up. But, you know, I think the MVP of the Phillies is someone that no one's talking about. I think it's Michael Franco. I think he's going to bounce back this year. 
Uh, you know, he showed the power. Uh, apparently, you know, he's he's lost some weight. They really liked what they saw out of him this offseason um, in his training. So, you know, watch out for him to be a you know breakout player. At one point, he was one of the Phillies' top prospects. Um, and, you know, he came into the league just bashing home runs, had a down year. But watch for him to bounce back. If, you know, if he bounces back and they can slide him into that three-hole in the lineup ahead of uh, Reese Hoskins, then, you know, it's going to be a dangerous lineup uh, that, you know, the Phillies haven't had in years. I mean, they haven't been able to score runs past couple of seasons, even when they pitched well. So, you know, just having him and Reese Hoskins in the middle of the lineup uh, could pay dividends. Yeah, I think I think if Franco can pick up his patience at the plate, I mean, you know, his career on base percentage is 300, which is really bad. Um, but it, the, one thing that does bode well for him is he doesn't strike out a lot. Um, you know, last year he only had 95 strikeouts in 154 games. I mean, he has played over 150 games in two straight seasons, so he can't stay healthy. Um, I think that, you know, if he can improve that patience at the plate, I mean, he's going to be put in a, in a position to succeed. A lot of times, you know, the Phillies lineup, you know, wasn't very strong and putting him in the middle of the lineup, you know, wasn't giving him a lot of opportunities to hit. Um, this will probably be a much better position. He'll be lower in the lineup to start out the year, um, be able to kind of, you know, work on his swing, work on, um, you know, taking the right pitches. Um, and, and maybe he can, you know, bring up that walk rate a little bit because, I mean, obviously that 230 batting average is concerning, but the 281 on base percentage for me stood out a lot more. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm extremely excited. I mean, I know I was texting you earlier today. I'm extremely excited for the season to start now. I mean, after this Arietta uh, signing, I, I really have hope for this team this year. Um, so we'll see how it goes. Uh, but, you know, let's move on. Don't want to talk too much about my own team. Let's move on. <laughs> Let's move on to uh, the worst team in the NFL. Yeah, so going from one of the worst teams in baseball to one of the worst teams in football. Both teams trying to make their way up the standings, and this is the Cleveland Browns. Uh, in 36 hours, go and make a series of trades that set shockwaves around the NFL. We'll just run through who they got and what they gave up. Um, as far as players go, traded for QB Tyrod Taylor from Buffalo, wide receiver Jarvis Landry, who has the most receptions among slot receivers over the last three years, um, and cornerback Demarius Randall uh, from Green Bay. Plus, they got the Packers' fourth and fifth round picks in this upcoming draft and a Patriots' third round pick in 2019. As for what they gave up, it was basically all picks with two players. They gave up Deshaun Kaiser and d defensive tackle Danny Shelton. But as far as picks go, gave up for this season a third rounder, a fourth rounder, a fourth again, and a fifth. Um, as actually both their fifths, both their fourths, and a third. Um, and then 2019, they gave up a seventh. So in return, you know, they get they get a fourth and a fifth back for this year. So basically, they swap picks in the fourth and fifth round with the Packers, um, but also had to give up a third rounder um, in addition to a fifth and a seventh round in 2019. So, um, you know, this is definitely making a statement for the Browns that, you know, they, they intend to compete. They're clearly going to be drafting a quarterback um, in the first round. I think, you know, if they don't go with number one, which I really think would be a bad idea if they draft the quarterback first, um, they're certainly going to draft one fourth. Um, but Kevin, what do you think, you know, as the team stands right now, so pre-draft, pre-free agency, how much better is the team right now than it was two days ago? Uh, you know, I think they got tremendously better. I mean, they already had the bones to be a good team uh, next year. And going out and getting a weapon like Jarvis Landry, who, you know, arguably is a you know top 15 receiver in the NFL, uh, great pickup for them. Also, I think, you know, getting a quarterback that doesn't turn the ball over uh, is, you know, huge for them. I mean, Tyrod Taylor, 
not throw many interceptions last year, and Deshaun Kaiser was one of the worst uh, turnover quarterbacks in all of the NFL. So they got rid of him and added a quarterback that doesn't really turn it over in Tyrod Taylor. Great, great pickup. And then, you know, getting rid of Deshaun Kaiser was a great, uh, you know, great trade for them. Getting a, you know, decent corner in return uh, makes the trade even better. So you know, I really like what this Browns team did at, uh, you know, over the past week. And I think they got to, you know, consider going with Saquon Barkley at number one. I mean, they already got Jarvis Landry at receiver. They got Tyrod Taylor at quarterback. They got two top five picks. Uh, I, I could easily see this Browns team going with, you know, arguably the best player in the draft in Saquon Barkley and really making this offense one of the most dangerous offenses in all the NFL uh, when you think about, you know, Landry and Gordon on the corners. Yeah, I mean, I think the Browns certainly have some reservations about Barkley simply because the Trent Richardson pick didn't pan out for them as well as they might have hoped. Um, you know, he was supposed no, to be... That, that panned out perfectly for them. I mean, they got one good year out of him, traded him for a first-round pick, and then he was gone. But, no, more, but more so, yeah, like Trent Richardson's few like prospects uh, in the NFL. Um, yeah, maybe I didn't word that right, but... You know, the way he, he played, it just feels like a lot of, you know, you look at Ezekiel Elliott, um, who was held as, you know, like one of the best running backs coming out of the draft in years. You're not sure, you know, can you rely on a running back? Is Ezekiel Elliott a one-hit wonder, or is he an emerging, um, you know, threat, an emerging trend among running backs? But I think the biggest thing going for Barkley here is that he's such a good pass-catching running back, and that's, you know, something that the league is really shifting to and if the Browns adapt I think that could be a real game changer for their offense I mean we haven't seen a prolific Browns offense in probably 15 years so we're looking you know obviously I think they're going to get a quarterback I think that's going to be a huge thing here and I think they're going to go with it for their number four pick so I think they either pick Barkley first or they trade that number one pick um, for maybe like a seven or eight um, in addition to a third rounder maybe to add some depth um, there, but you know, the, we're also forgetting that Miles Garrett is going to be the, on the team for a full season. He dealt with injuries last year. Um, you know, he's going to be now in his sophomore season. That's going to be huge for them on the defensive side of the ball. Um, my thing is, is they definitely have a lot of needs to address in free agency, but they have a ton of cap space. I mean, they cleared so much cap room um, with all the moves that they had. I mean, when this current front office regime took over, they had a historic number of draft picks and a historic amount of cap space to work with. Um, so, you know, you, you got to give this team, the front office credit, um, you know, for what they're doing right now. But at the same time, they were given all the tools they needed um, to really, you know, take this team to the next level. So I think as the team stands right now, it's maybe, you know, a two, three win team um, going into free agency, which, you know, obviously in a great position, but it's certainly much better than the 0-16 team it was before. I think their big needs here, they're going to need another defensive tackle. Um, they're going to need a, a linebacker core just in general. Their linebackers were pretty awful last year. Um, they're lacking at free safety on the offensive side of the ball. They probably need a, a better pass-catching tight end um, Jordan Cameron. I don't know. He doesn't uh, jump off the pages to me. And it's certainly running back. If they don't go with Barkley, uh, maybe they re-sign Isaiah Crowell. Um, they have a lot of options there. Um, there's certainly plenty of running backs uh, who hit free agency. They could go the older route with Matt Forte. I mean, not Matt Forte. Um Coming off of the um, Carlos Hyde, sorry, coming off 49ers, um, I think they he would be a good fit for them. Um, but I, I think this is a team that is in a tough division, certainly, with the Steelers, obviously, as a clear-cut favorite. Um, but the Ravens were a bubble playoff team last year. The Bengals, kind of, you know, a, a coin flip at this point. They're on and off every other year. But um, I think that they're in a little bit of a tough position as far as divisions go. Um, <coughs> in the AFC, there are certainly other easier ones. 
Um, but I, I think that you know they're trending in the right direction, um, and certainly could be. I think they could be a playoff team uh, if they manage the draft right um, and, and get some key signings in free agency. The only thing is, is you know how how difficult is it going to be to woo free agents? I mean, certainly you know these these trades are are you know getting players' attentions. Uh, maybe saying like, "Hey, like we're a new team. You know, you you can play for us. We're not going to be awful." Um, but with you know, my my thing is is they, they they stuck with Hugh Jackson, and I said this when they decided not to fire him. You know, any coach you know that goes zero and sixteen to me, I I don't think you can excuse that because even even if you know you factor in all the injuries and the team that you know was put around Jackson, I just think that you know a good coach, a great coach would have squeaked out at least, you know, two to three wins. And the fact that the Browns, you know, they played close games and just were never able to close it out, that's concerning to me. And so I, I think Hugh Jackson, until he proves me wrong, is going to be uh, a major problem for Cleveland. Yeah, no, I understand what you're saying. I mean, it's tough to keep a coach uh, when they lose that many games in two seasons. I mean, I, you know, questioned it myself that they held on to him. But, uh, you know, I think they, uh, you know, they they think he's the right guy. Um, you know, they're definitely putting the talent around him. So, uh, you know, if they continue to make the right draft picks and you get the right talent around them and they're not winning, uh, then, you know, I think Hugh Jackson's got to go. But it's hard to blame a coach for being bad when really it's, you know, the talent on the field. Um, so, you know, now that they have the talent, it'll be very interesting to see how they evaluate him as a coach, um, because you, it's really, you know, like I said, it's really hard to evaluate a coach when the talent on the field is just not there. And, you know, you have to look, though, they're certainly, I think they're going to start the year with Tyrod, you know, on the field, you know, regardless of who they draft. I mean, these there's a lot of good quarterbacks in the draft, but no one stands out as, you know, the clear-cut guy. And, and to me, it seems like, you know, whoever they draft, they're going to have to develop. They're not going to want to rush him, kind of like Jared Goff was rushed into it a little bit. Um, because of injuries, had to be thrown into the fire and just didn't do very well. I mean, and they saw with Deshaun Kaiser, who was a second-round pick, really wasn't you know a starting caliber QB, and we saw the results there. So I think the Browns are definitely going to play it safe with Tyrod, and, and like you mentioned, he is does not uh, throw the ball away, uh, very low interception rate, um, certainly doesn't pump up a lot of yards. But you know, you're going to have Josh Gordon back um, along with Duke Johnson and and um, Jarvis Landry. I think that's a very solid. Uh, trio of receivers that they're going to be able to use, especially with you know Josh Gordon out wide and, and Landry in the slot. I think that's just a dangerous com- combo, um, and it's going to give Tyrod a little bit more weapons than he's used to. I mean, yes, he had you know Sammy Watkins um, and then Kelvin Benjamin over in, in Buffalo, but you know he never really he, he wasn't able to you know build a repertoire with a receiver. I think him working on and off with, with Josh Gordon. Um, and Jarvis Landry is going to really give him a chance to open up his passing game a little bit more. Um, and I think if he, he honestly probably needs to stay in the pocket more. I mean, the Browns offensive line is not terrible. Um, they might need, you know, one or two uh, interior linemen in the draft. But if, if Joe Thomas decides not to retire, you know, he's apparently mulling it, having torn his bicep, his real first like major injury, uh, you know, in his career. If he decides to stay, they, they've got a really solid offensive line. Um, and I think that, you know, That'll give Tyrod the chance to kind of let his his plays develop a little bit more and let the, his his receivers actually do something for once because that's something he wasn't really used to playing in Buffalo. Yeah, I still think I know you're questioning a little bit. I think they got to go see Quan Barkley. I think he'll give uh, you know he'll take some pressure off Tyrod at quarterback and you know give this team a run game that can really set up the passing game. So you know we'll see. 
they're doing the draft. I think this draft's going to be huge uh, for them moving forward. I mean, they got some two top five picks. Yeah, I don't know how how often that happens, but it can't be uh, very often. So they really got to take advantage of those picks. And if they do that, I think they got a shot. Um, you know, I think they got a shot at making the playoffs this year. Yep, we will see. Uh, certainly, the NFL provided lots of surprises for us this year. Um, and we'll be, you know, paying attention to see what happens next year. I'm excited. This it's just a great time to be a sports fan right now with spring training, March Madness just starting, NBA going down the stretch. I mean, even if you're an NHL fan, um, we've got a ton of stuff going on. Um, Olympics just wrapped up. I mean, this has been this has been such an exciting time to watch sports. You got to love the month of March, um, where it just it seems like every sport has something going on between NFL free agency and. MLB spring training and, and everything I just mentioned. So um, I'm excited. I think the only um, you know sport that we're not paying attention to right now is college football. Uh, but we got spring games coming up too, so we'll get to see some uh, younger faces maybe taking some bigger roles. So I'm excited for that. Um, but yeah, Kevin, uh, that's going to wrap us up. Thank you so much for calling in. Uh, everybody, don't forget to like and subscribe on Instagram. Do follow us on Twitter at Pure Sports Net. Like us on Facebook at Pure Sports Network. And Check out our website at puresportsnetwork.com. I'm Matt Weirich, and this is Kevin Haswell signing off. Kevin, any last words for the good people? Phillies to the playoffs by 2019. I'm guaranteeing it now. Kevin has put his word on it. Well, I'll say go Nats. Thank you all so much for listening, and have a good one.